Bible open there at Psalm 18, verses 20 to 30. We considered last Lord's Day the God who rescues and today the God who justifies. The God who justifies. Over the course of six weeks from mid-April to early June this year, much of the world's media attention was fixed on a courtroom in Virginia in the United States. A jury heard evidence from lawyers for Johnny Depp on one side and his ex-wife Amber Heard on the other, who were suing and countersuing each other in a very public and bitter divorce. Fallen human nature is such that people delight in hearing all the sad, shameful details of a celebrity couple splitting up. And so it was something of an obsession for many people, this bitter case. But essentially what went on in that courtroom goes on in any courtroom when two parties are at odds with one another. One side, each side rather, tries to give good reasons to the jury or the judge to find in their favour, to declare them justified. And that's what you have to do when you make your case in court. You have to give the judge a good reason to look favourably upon you, to perhaps set you free or to perhaps declare you innocent. Well, last Lord's Day, as we say, we looked at verses 1 to 19 of this psalm, considering the God who rescues. And we considered the descriptions that David gives there uh, in that portion of the psalm of God, when he chooses, coming in holy and dramatic demonstrations of his power uh, to rescue his people and defeat his enemies. And David could personally testify to times in his life, many times, when God had done that for him. And we considered how God was willing to pour out his judgment in some of the ways described in Psalm 18. Uh, We considered how God poured out his judgment upon the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross uh, so that we could be rescued and saved from our sins. The The very things that God had done in the past to his enemies, those who were guilty of Uh, transgressing against his law. Uh, That's exactly how God treated the Lord Jesus on the cross. He was the object of God's wrath uh, so that we could be rescued. And yet God, of course, did not leave Christ in the grave. Christ rose again uh, to everlasting life. And in verse 19, we consider those words, he rescued me because he delighted in me. And we considered how only Christ could truly say that he, that he always brought his father delight. Only Christ always obeyed his father. Only Christ, Christ was the one that the voice from heaven said with him, I am well pleased. And yet if we have our faith in Christ, these words are also true of us, that God has delighted in us. He hasn't rescued us because of anything that we have done. He rescued us simply because it pleased him to do it. And so the God who rescues, verses 1 to 19. Well, this morning we're going to look at verses 20 to 30. And having thought about the God who rescues today, we think about the God who justifies. A judge has to hear good grounds to be convinced of someone's innocence in the courtroom. So how is it that sinners like you and I, Men and women who have said and done and thought what is wicked in God's sight. How is it that we can avoid punishment and receive blessing from God and be justified by God? Well, as we seek to answer that question today, let's think first of all in this psalm about the God who provides our righteousness. The God who provides our righteousness. 
I wonder do verses 20 to 24 strike you as rather bold from David? You might even think, how could David seriously have really said these things? Look what it says in verse 20. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. Verse 21. I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from God. Verse 23. I was blameless before him. In other words, I didn't do a single thing wrong. You might read that and think, well, how could David have said that? Surely he did not really believe this. He didn't consider himself a perfect man, did he? Well, of course, David was well aware of his own sin. He uh, describes it in detail in Psalm 51. Also, as we sang earlier in Psalm 32, he talks about how we need to confess our sins to God. So how is it that here in Psalm 18, he calls himself a blameless and righteous man? Well, as with any part of the scriptures, we, we need to consider the original circumstances and context in which it's been written. And when David wrote this psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was thinking in the first place about the the false accusations that King Saul had made against him for maybe 10 years or more of his life. In all those years that King Saul chased after David, he essentially spread propaganda about David. And he would have had the nation believe that David was some kind of traitor, that he was a danger to the kingdom of Israel. And so just as he did in Psalm 17, uh, as we thought about a few weeks ago, David here in Psalm 18 says that as far as those accusations go, as far as the claims about him that have been made by King Saul go, he is innocent. He isn't guilty of the things that Saul has accused him of. Just as you or I would be right to defend our own innocence if we were accused of some crime that we didn't commit uh, that's, that's one way of explaining David's words here. I haven't done the wicked things that my enemies have accused me of doing. But we do also need to take David's words a step further. And consider this passage from a New Testament perspective. In Acts chapter 2, you might remember Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. And he preaches full of the Holy Spirit to all those thousands of Jewish people gathered in Jerusalem. And in the course of David's sermon, he quotes from the Psalms several times. And he describes David, the one who wrote the Psalms. He says that David was not only a king, he was a prophet. Acts chapter 2 verse 30. And so when David wrote his Psalms, friends, guided by and full of the Holy Spirit, uh, he was writing about the greatest king of Israel. Still to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not just my interpretation. That's what Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, says on the day of Pentecost as he preaches to the Jewish people. David was writing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says that, of course. You remember when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, Luke chapter 24. uh, And he says to those who were with him, uh, it says rather that he began to explain to them in all the scriptures Specifically the law, the prophets and the Psalms. The things concerning himself. So this is not just a human interpretation of these things. And so when David talks friends about having clean hands verse 20. And keeping all the ways of the Lord verse 21. And never wickedly departing from God's commands verse 22. (coughs) Ultimately he cannot be talking completely about himself. 
about his own life. He's writing about someone else. Someone whose perfect righteousness covers over all his sin. And leaves him justified in God's courtroom. John Calvin says these words, the words of Psalm 18. Agree better with Christ than with David. In other words, they are a better description of Christ than they are of David. A more recent preacher says every theme in this psalm was to be given new depth in Christ. See, David was a believer, friends, looking ahead in faith and guided by the Holy Spirit to the fulfillment of the promises that God had made to him. Consider, for example, what God promised David in 2 Samuel 7, (coughs) excuse me, in verse 12. God says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now again, those words have a partial fulfillment in a human king, King Solomon, David's son and heir. Uh, But although Solomon had a spectacular kingdom, friends, he died. His throne was not established forever. His kingdom dwindled away after his death. And so David in Psalm 18, believing the promises that God made in 2 Samuel 7, is looking forward in faith to a perfect, eternal, blameless king whose righteousness covers over all our sin. And the New Testament tells us that king is the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as the blood of the lamb above the doorposts covered over the household uh, inside in the days of the exodus, so friends, Jesus' blood covers us. It justifies us. We can point to him and say to God, that is my case. That is my justification. He is why I can go free. Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 9, That I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And believing by faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ friends. Gives us a right and proper understanding of who we are in God's sight. Ralph Davis says Christians on the one hand. Admit how extensive and overwhelming our corruption is, our sin is. We admit that. On the other hand, he says, we contend that by grace, we are still holding fast to our Savior. The former, that's the understanding of our sin, he says, that should keep us from pride. The latter, that we hold on to Christ, should keep us from despair. And that should be the result in the life of anyone who claims faith in Christ. We're not proud and we're not despairing. And that's how you could end up if you don't truly have your faith in Christ. Either you become very proud because you think, well, I'm generally a good person. Even if I do tell the old porky or cut a few corners in in my business dealings. (coughs) Yes, maybe I lose my temper with my family members at times. But we shove all of that aside or we make less of that. And we say, well, I'm not a murderer. I'm not Putin. I'm not the 
sort of sleazy politicians in Westminster that we hear about their shenanigans every other week. I'm not that bad. And so we could become proud. And the Bible says that pride is an abomination. Some people are very fond of calling certain sexual sins abominations, which they are. But pride is also an abomination. Proverbs 16 verse 5. In fact, the people who tended to make Jesus the most angry when he was on the earth were not the prostitutes or the thieves or the tax collectors. It was the proud religious type people who wouldn't admit how bad they were and thought they could make it on their own. And our culture in Ulster, which is nominally Christian still just about, and which gets very excited about political flags and political culture and supposedly great battlefield victories of the past. Our little nation here is full of proud people. People who think that they're better than other people from the other side of the community. Those are some of the people who are hardest to convince that they need the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder, are you one of those people today? You're proud. You think, well, I- I'm pretty much getting by on my own steam. Or you might be at the other end of the spectrum altogether and you might be in despair. You might be thinking some of the things I've done, there's no hope for me. If the people in this room knew some of the worst things about me, they wouldn't want me back here. But you see, that's a misguided notion as well because God has provided the Lord Jesus Christ who covers over all All our sin. There's no caveat for really, really awful sins. There's no footnote says, except if you've done this. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 13. And so Christian, you have reason today not to be proud and not to despair. You have reason to be hopeful and joyful and thankful Because Jesus Christ is your righteousness. God has provided your righteousness. So no matter how good you think you are or how bad you think you are. If your faith is in him, God deals with you on that basis. The God who provides our righteousness. Secondly, the God who does justice. The God who does justice or who acts justly, if uh, the grammar worries you. The God who acts justly. Look at verse 25. With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man you show yourself blameless. With the purified you show yourself pure. And with the crooked you make yourself seem tortuous. For you save a humble people. But the haughty eyes you bring low. What David's saying here is that God rewards the life of faith and righteousness And he punishes the life of pride and sin and selfishness. He is perfectly just. Being saved by the grace of Jesus Christ is of course not a license to do whatever we want. Saying well God forgives me so I can live how I like. Paul talks about that in Romans 6 having spelt out clearly how we're justified in Romans 5. Paul says will we go on sinning? Will we just sin so that we can say, look how great God's grace is that he forgives all this sin? Paul says, by no means. If you're thinking that way, you haven't got it. 
And he goes on to say, if you're saved by God's grace, it's for the purpose then of living life in obedience to God by the help and grace that Christ gives by his spirit. Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 10, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is, we should walk in what David says here in verse 25 is a blameless way of living. A merciful way of living. A good way of living. Paul says in Titus 3 verse 7. Being justified by his grace. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And he goes on to say. I want you to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God. May be careful to devote themselves to good works. So not justified by our good works. Justified by Jesus' good works, but for the purpose then of doing good works. The evidence that we belong to Christ, the evidence that our faith is in him, that we are thankful to him for our salvation, that we're joyful in him because of our salvation, that evidence will be the way that we live. Boys and girls, that evidence will be that you don't use some of the words that you hear other boys and girls in your class using. Older men and women, that evidence will be your integrity in the workplace. No matter what, what others might turn a blind eye to or what the standards may be in the office or in the staff room. That evidence will be in the way we do treat the Lord's Day. Things we choose to do, the way we use our time on this day. In worship and in rest and in doing good to fellow man. Rather than just treating it as another day of the week. All of those good works, they don't earn our salvation. They are evidence of our salvation. And what David is saying here is that God will reward those who do that. God will act justly towards everyone. Believers and indeed unbelievers. Because look what he says in verse 26. With the crooked you make yourself seem tortuous. Tortuous, a very interesting word. What that means is the people who are sneaky, people who twist the truth, people who live selfishly and sinfully. God will eventually make life unbearably difficult for such people. God will do justice both to the righteous and to the unrighteous. He will do justice. So often it seems there is no justice in this world. We look at the situation in Ukraine. We were talking about it in the prayer meeting this morning. Things the Russians are doing. Just burning fields full of of wheat and grain. Cutting off supplies out of the country for, uh, for, for, for produce to go out to people who need it in Africa and further afield. We think where is the justice? Who is going to call this man Putin to account? Look at our own land and paramilitaries continue to lurk in the shadows and it seems nobody's doing anything to stop them. Think of the slaughter of the unborn that continues today and even some people celebrating it. We read of our brothers and sisters in the church in North Korea and China, India and elsewhere forced into hiding, forced to watch their back on the way to worship, forced into slave labour camps in some cases. And it seems like it's the crooked who are winning and who are getting away with all these things. It was the crooked who seemed to have won 
On that Friday afternoon when Jesus Christ was sentenced to death on the cross. Gospels tell us that Jesus' enemies were trying all day to find a good reason to put him to death. And they couldn't. Until eventually Matthew 26 verse 60 says that two false witnesses, two liars, two crooked men came forward with stories that agreed. And based on those twisted and crooked stories, Jesus was put to death. But David knows that God is a God of justice, friends. With the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. In God's time and in the means that God has already planned, the crooked will get their comeuppance. Equally, with the merciful, he says, you show yourself merciful. The word there for merciful is the word that we come across so often in the Old Testament and in the Psalms. Chesed, grace, undeserved love and mercy. And if we've received that from God, we should show that towards other people. We should be merciful people. We should be those who show undeserving love and grace to those around us. In our homes, in our workplaces, with our family members. In our communities. We love because he first loved us. The scripture says. And gave his son to be the propitiation. For our sins. Friends you see here how David. Stresses that not only are we justified by God. But then we go on to live lives of obedience to God. And he knows that in doing so. We won't always be treated fairly. We won't always receive justice in this life. In fact if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You can be pretty sure that one way or another you will be unfairly treated in this life. Whether purely for living with integrity or because someone just hates the Christian faith and goes after you because of it. (coughs) But God sees and God knows the right from the wrong and God will act justly. And so are you living, are you endeavouring to live this life of mercy and grace to those around you? Is your life crooked or straight today? Maybe you're not a Christian at all today, either here in the building or listening in online. Your life is bent out of shape by the sins that will condemn you if you don't confess them. If you die in your sins, God will seem tortuous to you. He will judge those sins. Instead of Having you having spent your life making less of them and saying, well, they're not that big or they're not that bad. They will finally be weighed in the balance by God and you will be found wanting because all of our sin falls short of the glory of God. The only hope for you is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that covers over all our sin. If you are a Christian today and if by God's grace you are seeking to live a life of humility and purity and service to God and others and You feel like you're not seeing any reward for it. You sometimes think, what's the point? Nobody sees, nobody cares. Friend, be encouraged. Our God is just. And he sees and he knows. And he will reward those who follow after him. We're not living out our faith for a pat on the back or or, or for the recognition of the world here and now. We live out our faith for the glory of God and so that one day we will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come in and share your master's happiness.
the God who provides our righteousness, the God who acts justly, thirdly and finally today, the God who gives help, the God who gives help. The life that God has called us to live, he doesn't expect us to live by our own strength. He doesn't leave Christians to figure it out for ourselves or to get by on our own power. Look at verse 28 of the psalm. It is you who light my lamp, the Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. Wonder boys and girls, do you remember singing some of those words? Maybe you still sing them in family worship, or you've sung them at holiday Bible clubs over the years. The Lord will light my lamp, uh, and, he, and he lightens up the darkness, and by his strength I can leap over a wall. We know those words well, we love those words, we love to sing them. But I hope familiarity doesn't take away uh, the importance of them and the encouragement of them. David says, God lights up my darkness. Light can be such a, an encouragement in some situations just to see some light. Uh, probably we'd rather not think about it in the middle of July. But uh, in the dead of winter, of course, we know that the, the darkness can be somewhat oppressive at times. Can't it? Those really long, dark days. They just seem to go on and on. And it's one reason why throughout human history, uh, you'll find that all sorts of traditions and winter festivities and, and religious observances, light is involved. Uh, people light up trees, they light up their homes, partly just to provide some hope and some uh, encouragement in the midst of those darkest days of the year. Similarly, David here says that the light of God's salvation helps him, encourages him, uh, fuels him, uh, uh, keeps him going, even in the midst of the spiritual darkness in which he fights. And friends, God can do the same for us. He helps us. He lightens up our lives. The same God who said, let there be light, is also the God who said, I am the light of the world. He can shed light. He can bring hope. He can empower us in days of difficulty. Perhaps today, is a day a time of darkness or confusion in your life, spiritually or emotionally. Perhaps in your workplace or in your home or in your own spiritual walk, you, you feel like you're in darkness at the minute. You feel a weight. You feel, how am I supposed to carry on? David felt like that. And he says, God lightens up my darkness. That darkness that feels so overwhelming, God comes into it and he sheds his light. Similarly, in verse 29, he says, By you I run against a trip, and by my God I can leap over a wall. What he's saying is that the, what seems like the greatest challenges can be overcome in God's strength. The challenge of resisting that particular sin that we fight with. Uh, the, the challenge of our nation needing revival and the church needing revival today. Challenge, perhaps, of just getting through another week with the ups and downs that you're going through at the minute. Nothing, none of that is impossible with the strength that God gives. And when we do come through times of testing and difficulty, when we can look back and say, God's light helped me, God's strength helped me, what should we do? Well, we should return thanks and praise to the one who has provided that help. That's what David's doing here in this psalm. Spurgeon says we should always be careful to dedicate the trophies of our conflicts to the sustaining grace of God. Perhaps we cry out in a moment for God to give help. Do we cry out after the help has been given? 
and give thanks for it being provided. Pray for his help to get through an exam or an interview. Do we come back and say thank you when we've come through it? Pray for his help to speak to a loved one about the gospel. Summoning up that courage and boldness to speak. Do we give thanks when God gives that boldness to speak and pray that he will use what we've said in the hearts of those people? We need to cultivate an attitude of gratitude in our prayers. And then look at the wonderful way this section of the psalm concludes in verse 30. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. Proves means it's been tested, it's been refined, it's been tried and it's not found one thing. It always comes to pass. And then David says, he is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. A refuge, that's a a favourite word of the Psalms, a safe place, a sanctuary, a hiding place from the danger of the world. Some of you may have seen that video footage online. It was in the news last week of an avalanche on a mountainside in Kyrgyzstan. It was filmed by a British man, Harry, I think his name is Shimin, not sure how to pronounce his name. He was part of a group of British trekkers. And Shimin thought that he was, he saw this avalanche beginning away up on a big hillside, what he thought was far away from him. And he, so he began filming it. Uh, and he thought he was far, far enough away from this avalanche that even when, if it did come down, it, it, it wouldn't reach him all the way down the mountain. But the footage is incredibly dramatic because the avalanche just keeps getting closer and closer and closer until at last it actually goes right over the head of the man filming it on his phone. And the only reason that this man survived was because he happened to be standing right next to a little rocky outcrop. And at the last possible second, he threw himself under a huge boulder that perfectly sheltered him from that snow, that avalanche that otherwise would have crushed him to death. Be a Christian is to have found shelter, refuge in Jesus Christ. He is our safe place from the ongoing assaults of the world and even from the ongoing wrath of God that is going to come down upon this world someday, dear friends. Jesus is our justification. Jesus is our safe place. Jesus is our only hope in life and death. Praise God that he has provided our righteousness. Praise God that he is a God of justice and praise God that he gives help and refuge In times of need. Can you say today with David. The Lord dealt with me. According to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me. Amen.